Hey, um, uh, the last few months maybe we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, as I look at the book of Acts, I've been challenged by this thought, and I want to ask you a question this morning before we start. Um, man, do you ever have things in your life where you believe something and you know something, and if you were to come and tell me it, you'd be able to, you'd be able to tell me it and give your reasons for it, but when it comes to your action, it's like sometimes they don't line up, and it's sometimes it's like, man, I don't know how I can believe this and yet act like this. And maybe an example I've been thinking about is with money, right? Is we know that there's poverty in the world and we know that there's huge scale of poverty and there are people who are dying of starvation all the time. And we know that and yet somehow we can um, still live our life here and sort of be like, yeah, that's, that's someone else's life. We can know about it but then not let that affect us and not let that affect our actions and still go and buy a coffee or buy something. Like, not that that's bad, but sometimes our actions don't actually reflect what we know. And I was thinking about this in the sense of my faith and my faith journey. And I look at the fact that I believe in hell and I believe that there are people who are going to an eternal destruction. And I could tell you verses on that. I could tell you that I believe that. And yet when it comes to talking to those people, it's like, man, do I actually believe it? Because there's something that holds me back from sharing. And it's like, if I truly believe that they're going to an eternal destruction, why am I not willing to go and share that with them? And it's like so many times in my faith, I could tell you I've been convicted about that or I've been challenged about that, and yet still I haven't gone out and put any change into place. And I was reminded of the story in Luke of the um, rich young ruler, and most of you will probably know it, but the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he's like, man, what must I do to be saved? And so Jesus says to him, well, these are the commandments. You should do them. Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And he's like, well, I've done these since I was a child. And Jesus looks at him and says, one thing do you lack? Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the rich man, he goes away, and he goes away. It says he went away very sad because he had great possessions. Um, And Jesus looks at him and says, man, it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then immediately after, in Luke's gospel, he records the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is so eager to see Jesus that he climbs the tree because he's short and he tries to grab Jesus' attention and Jesus comes to his house. Um, and Zacchaeus is like, man, I'm going to give half of my possessions away and any people that I've wronged, I'm going to pay back four times as much. And Jesus says, well, today salvation's come to that house. And I look at those two stories, right? And I'm like, man, so often we can come to church and we can be convicted and we can go away sad or go away like, man, I want to change, but we don't do anything. And the, um, James actually talks, he's like, man, we can be hearers of the word and deceive ourselves because we can hear the word and be convicted but not do anything about it. And as I've been looking at the book of Acts and reading through it um, for this and sort of going through the whole story, I'm like, man, I see the way the apostles live out their faith and the way that they share their faith. And I get challenged about it, but still I'm not putting that change into place. And so as we come today and look at Acts 16 and look at the church at Philippi and look at the lessons that God wants to teach us through that, I just want to maybe challenge you to start with and say, man, look at this as not a text to be challenged about and go away sad, but actually, what are we gonna do and actually put into place from it? And so I'm just gonna pray before we start and I encourage you to pray also um, and ask God to speak into your heart this morning. So let's pray. And Heavenly Father, um, God of wonders, and thank you that we can come this morning and worship you and come before your presence. Um, Thank you that we can come and not have to try and in our salvation. We can just come before you. Man, as I look at the text this morning and what you've been teaching me in my heart, Lord, I just pray that for us as a church here, we'd be taught by you this morning, that we would be 
challenged by you would be as though you were speaking into each one of our lives, into our different situations. Please, may, me, uh, please may we be people this morning who don't go away sad and go away convicted but don't do anything, but go away and actually put this into practice and start to um, grow wherever um, we are on the journey, that we'd grow in our, the way that we share our faith and the way we reach out to people. So Lord, I pray this this morning. Amen. Okay, we are in Acts 16, um, if you want to turn there. This is the start of the church of Philippi. Um, really cool that this is actually um, the first time Paul has gone beyond um, Turkey and into this other place this year, the gospel. So into Philippi, the gospel has not been shared here. And so the letter to the Philippians, they're writing to the people that we see in the story and the characters that we see in the story. And you look at Philippians, and Philippians is a letter that is, man, so about mature faith. It's the only letter of Paul's that he doesn't address problems in the church. And it's like a glimpse into mature faith. And he's writing to these people that we see in the story. So um, I'm going to join the other preachers on Acts so far who have said that they can't cover the whole thing. And I'm also not going to be able to cover the whole thing. <laughs> we'll try to cover most of it. Eh? Um, so to summarize the first few verses, Paul and Barnabas, they have split. Um, Paul takes Silas and he comes to a place called Lystra. And there he meets Timothy, um, where the letters to Timothy are written, that same character. Um, and so Timothy joins them and they head off and they go first of all to the churches that they've already planted in Turkey. Um, and then they carry on. So in verse six, this describes their journey. And they went through the region of Phrygia, I'm not sure how to say that, um, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mesia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, Man. Um, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Notice here how the Holy Spirit's directing them into these places to not go um, into these actually major cities that need to hear the gospel, but he says, keep coming. And so passing by Messia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul concludes that he needs to go speak the gospel in Macedonia. So they head over there and they come to the city of Philippi. So if we jump down to verse 12, Philippi is a city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. And this is one of the major cities in the Roman colony, right? Maybe the equivalent of a Los Angeles or a New York. We could think of that. This is a wealthy city, um, one that wouldn't have much association with Jewish people. Um, there are some Jews there, as we'll see later on, but this is mostly a Roman city um, and a very wealthy one. So at the city, in verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so we have the first... Um, person or the first member of the church of Philippi. And so I want to make some notes. So here's the first of three characters. So Lydia, she is from Thyatira. She is not Greek. She would be Asian. Um, and Thyatira is a city, another wealthy city over um, in Asia. She is a fashion designer. So she works and designs clothes and often designs clothes because it's with purple for very rich people. And she herself is very wealthy. She owns a house in this city. So you can imagine her being a fashion designer from Maybe like Los Angeles who has a house in Paris, I don't know, something like that. So she's very rich, right? 
we're also told that she is a God-fearer. And so what a God-fearer meant is that um, they had, they don't associate with pagan gods, so they don't believe that there are many gods, they believe in one God. And so she would believe in the Jewish God, so she would have an understanding of the Torah. And we know that because she came out to the city to pray and to assume that there wasn't a synagogue in the city, so they would come out to perform their ritual cleansings or their time of prayer outside the city at this place. So Paul comes and meets Lydia first of all. And um, we can assume that he comes and shares the gospel to her in the way that, man, look at the law. Look at um, the way there are sacrifices and atonement. This is Christ. Christ has come to fulfill this. And so God opens her heart to hear the things that he is saying, and she believes. She's baptized straight away, um, her household as well, and then she prevails on Paul and is hospitable. And so we have the first member of the Church of Philippi. So let us keep reading. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And I find this real interesting because this next part, I'm like, man, I don't... At first when I was reading, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, because Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And I read that and I'm like, man, why did you not take the spirit out straight away? Like surely you could have compassion on her as soon as you see her. But he waits until he's annoyed by it and then he does it. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But I was looking into it and so the spirit of divination that it says is actually in the Greek a spirit um, associated with a python. That's literally what it means. And it's associated with the God worship of that time and the worship of the god Apollos. And so the people would associate her and her ability to tell the future with um, demonic activity. And the verb um, that Paul uses to say that he was annoyed can also mean that he was very disturbed. And so it suggests that Paul, when he sees this, this girl yelling out and proclaiming what they're doing, even though she says it's true, um, the connotations with it are the demonic side of it. And so he's disturbed by that and annoyed and commands the spirit to come out because it's not a good look for your ministry in a city if you've got this person who is associated with demons proclaiming um, what you're doing. So he becomes annoyed. But I want to make some notes on the slave girl because she is almost the complete opposite of Lydia in every respect, right? Lydia is from Thyatira. Um, the slave girl is Greek. Whereas Lydia is a fashion designer and very, very high up in the hierarchy of the city, you could say. The slave girl, she's a slave, which is obvious by the name, but I had to put the point in. Um, so she's well down the order. Um, whereas Lydia is wealthy, she is very poor and has to get her money from her masters because she makes their money by her fortune telling. Um, and whereas Lydia is a God-fearer and someone who is very intellectual and understands God and is searching for God in that way, um, the slave girl is possessed by a spirit and she goes around night and day proclaiming, uh, following Paul everywhere. Like she's someone out of control. And so Paul's way of ministering to her, right, is very different because if he was to go and uh, reason with her, that would not work. And so in a moment of Holy Spirit-inspired power, he commands the Spirit to leave and she is healed. So we have the second member of the Church of Philippi, you could say. So in verse 19, let's continue because this gets interesting. Um, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And so what was set up in those towns is um, you'd have a place, a public court where you could bring your disputes and there'd be a judge right there to decide your cases. And so they bring um, Paul and Silas and they say, man, these Jews are proclaiming things that we Romans can't follow. 
which in itself is actually not true, but um, they say it in such a way that they convince the crowds and the judges to actually turn on Paul and Silas. And so down in verse 22, we see that the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Um, and we can sort of just read that and think, oh yeah, they'll beat him with rods. That would not be a very pleasant time at all. Um, you not only have the magistrates doing it, but you also have the crowds doing it as well. And so they would be beaten, they would be bleeding, they would be bruised. It would not be a nice time. And in verse 23, we see that when they had been inflicted with many blows, they threw them into prison. And the magistrates ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And the jailer, having received this order, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So I don't know what you think when you think stocks, but um, I initially thought like maybe shackles around your leg or something that just holds your hands in place. Um, the Roman stocks are actually different in that they would put your body in a very unnatural position and then they would tie the stocks down so that you're held in that position so that your body would start to cramp and then they'd leave you there for hours or sometimes days. So Paul and Silas are left in the middle of this very unpleasant prison having already been beaten by a lot of people and then they're left in this awkward position in shackles, right? Not sure what's going to happen. And I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. Like, I'd be thinking, man, this is not a very successful missionary trip in Philippi. Um, but you read verse 25, and it's like, man, about midnight. So this is a few hours afterwards, right? This is a few hours of being in pain. You hear that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I heard it said that Paul would have been the most infuriating person to try and persecute because... You try and persecute him for his faith and he just keeps singing and praying for you. Um, and I like read that and part of me, so my, my character, I, I'm an extreme person. So I'm like, man, if I was giving my life fully to go to a new city and preach the gospel, yeah, I'd be I don't know, filled with the spirit and able to pray and sing hymns. But I'm like, man, if I take that back a few steps and I look at my life every day, I'm like, man, do, am I a person who is always praying and singing hymns to God and being joyful to God? And it's pretty cool because this is a place where Paul actually lives out um, in Ephesians. He talks about the spirit-filled life and how we're to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to give thanks for everything. Um, and Paul's actually living this out right here. And I don't know if there's a wee, a wee challenge here about um, even in our hardships in life, man, this is an example of what a spirit-filled life is and still being able to rejoice in the midst of those hardships. Um, and maybe that's an encouragement for you to maybe go to God and say, man, and I'm struggling at the moment. Would you show me how to actually live a life like this and be someone who can still praise you in the midst of trouble? Um, so I think that's a really awesome picture. But let's get reading. Because as the prisoners were listening to them, oh, so the prisoners heard them, um, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because if you were the jailer and your prisoners escaped, you would be um, tortured and then killed because you were responsible for them. But Paul um, yells out in a loud voice and says, man, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And so the jailer comes before them and um, understands that there's something supernatural going on there and he falls before them and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And sort of going on from what we heard last week about the most important question, man, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response is pretty awesome. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Um, and there are some connotations with that that maybe we in our culture today don't get. So the word, the word Lord is the word kurios, and that was the same word used for Caesar. 
So to say Lord Jesus, they would have understand the implications of calling Jesus Lord. Um, Jesus himself says, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I command? Um, and so it's like there's a sense in calling Jesus Lord as coming under his lordship and following him and following his rules, but it's still simple. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's all it is. You're saved by faith. You see that all through the epistles, and Paul says it again here, believe in the Lord Jesus. And today, if you're wondering, man, how do I get saved? Again, that's the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Um, and I just love that. Man, the simplicity of that answer right there. Paul and Silas then go on to share the word with the jailer. Um, and the jailer believes and his whole household gets baptised and then he takes Paul and cleanses his wounds and takes him into his house. And you can see the similarities with Lydia. Lydia was baptised straight away and began to be hospitable to Paul. So is the jailer. And so we have a third member to the church of Philippi. And so, again, the jailer, very different from the slave girl and very different from Lydia. So the jailer works for the Romans. Um, he's also a jailer, as I put again, <laughs> you can tell. He's a middle-class person, and we're not told any religious, but he's probably not God-fearing. I want you to note that actually the command to the jailer was not to torture them. The command was just to keep them safe, and the jailer went and actually put them in more pain than what he was commanded. So this is someone who has come and hurt Paul and Silas um, a lot more than he was supposed to. And yet still God uses the earthquake and still God brings him as a member of the church and converts him. And so, that's the church of Philippi. That's the church that was born. And I want to ask, okay, what does this church mean for us? What does this scene mean for us? Because um, that's the question we have to ask, right? What does it mean? And the first thing I want to say is that the gospel goes across any division that we can think of. Um, and I think often as people we associate with people we're comfortable with, people with similar interests, similar um, time of life, I suppose, similar social class. Um, and we often dismiss those other people in our life who are different from us. But if you look at, the, at Philippi, right, you've got Lydia, who's a fashion designer, very high up. You've got a slave girl who is possessed by a demon. And you've got a jailer who's actually torturing Paul and Silas. And yet Paul is able to share the gospel to each of them, even though he's very different from them. And these people actually become the church that Paul eventually says in Philippians, um, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Man, Paul yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And Christ, Christ Jesus um, had the affection to take him to the cross and actually die for the sins of the world. And Paul, in a way, does that because he um, takes the beatings here at Philippi. But that's how much he longs for this church. And they're these people here. And so I wanna ask you, who are the people in your life who are different social class, maybe different um, manner of life, people that you run into? Uh, maybe it's the person you get your coffee from. Maybe it's someone, um, someone at work who you just bump into because of your job. I don't know. I don't know your situation. But I want to ask you, who are those people and are there people that you have dismissed because you don't think the gospel will be able to be shared to them and so you haven't even tried when actually the gospel can cross those, bounds, uh, those boundaries? Um, and maybe for you, it's actually taking, writing a list of those and thinking through those people and praying through and saying, actually, God, I've, man, I've sort of dismissed them in my heart, but I'd love the opportunity to share my faith with them um, and going from there. And so I think that's um, a really awesome challenge there. The second thing I want to take from this passage um, in Acts 16 is this thought. And it's actually a verse um, in Mark, which comes after the Great Commission. So Jesus, when he goes up to heaven, he gives the commission to the disciples and it's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And then he gives this promise which says, and behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. 
And I love how Mark finishes his gospel because he says, and they went out and preached everywhere. So they go out, they preach everywhere, and then the promise is fulfilled because the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And man, I look at that as they go out, and when they go out, that's when God works with them. And you see that through the book of Acts, right? You see um, Peter at Pentecost, he preaches to the crowds and the Holy Spirit works in such power that 3,000 people believe. Um, you have Philip and the Spirit's leading him and go to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch and he goes over and the Ethiopian eunuch happens to be reading Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus. And so he's able to explain the meaning to him and he believes and is baptised. And it's like, man, God was working in that. You look at um, Paul and the way that he, I mean, God just intervenes in his life and then uses him in all his stories and all his ministry. You just see God doing miracles and protecting him. And like, if we come to this story, they go out to Lydia and preach to Lydia, but it's God who opens Lydia's heart. And they're in prison in a place which is, I mean, probably as hopeless as you can hope to get probably. And the, uh, an earthquake comes and breaks the prison and they escape and the jailer is saved. It's like, man, the book of Acts is a story where the apostles are going out and they're preaching, but God is working powerfully with them. And I love that phrase that he's working with them. But as I come and think, so as I come and look at this, I was looking at this passage over the last few weeks and I'm like, man, I don't go out as I should, right? And I was like, man, I need to actually start doing it if I'm gonna preach on it because I can't preach on it. And <laughs> I need to have some stories. And I was like, wait, that's the wrong motive. Um, so I didn't do that. But <laughs> I went and I was like, man, I went and talked to Paul Tabram. I don't know if you know Paul Tabram, but he's someone who lives this out, right? He gives his life for sharing the gospel to people. He's got such a heart for it and he's got so many amazing stories. And so I went and had coffee with him yesterday. And the first question I asked him, I was like, man, what I see from this passage and from Acts is that as the apostles go out, that's when God works. And I was like, do you see that when you go out? And he's like, all the time. Straight away, he said, all the time. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And then he told me stories that were like reflected that. And then I asked him, I was like, man, so why do we not go out? Like, what do you see as the thing that holds people back? Like, how can I begin to do it? And he said, it's this failure to trust that God's working. And we sort of look um, maybe at the world we're in, at New Zealand, and we're like, man, it's no point going out. People are so far away from God. People are, don't believe in God. And we don't believe this thing that as we go out, God's gonna be working with us. Um, so I started to think about that. And I was like, man, that's definitely true. And he told me scriptures. He's like, man, look at Ecclesiastes um, 3.11, which says God's put eternity in the heart of men. And so there is, even for the most people who proclaim atheism, they still, eternity is in their heart. And he, there's a verse in John, um, John 16. In, no, you don't have to turn there. Um, but talking about the Spirit, it says, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He said, man, the Spirit is working here in New Zealand, convicting people, and it just needs us to go out and God to use us. And I was like, well, that's awesome. And then I was thinking back, and I was like, man, there's actually a story that I had recently where actually that was the case. I'd love to share that just maybe as an encouragement. Um, but I was in Fiji, and we were over there um, on a youth reach up. And when you're over there in Fiji on a youth reach out, you sort of got the focus of sharing faith, so you're talking to people about it. But I was at, we were at the hotel we were staying at, and I started talking to one of the workers there on the Tuesday night. And I just like, told him why we were here, and I asked him just a question about the gospel, and got him thinking, and I saw, like, man, you're actually searching. And then our conversation was ended. I, I gave him a booklet that we had. And that week, I was like praying. I was like, man, I'd love an opportunity to talk with him. And then I didn't get an opportunity Wednesday or Thursday. And then Thursday night, the last night before we were there, I managed to find him. And we just sat down and I opened the Bible and I just started 
um, going through the gospel with them or going through from Adam and Eve and just explaining what Christ is. And as I did it, it was like this happened, right? Like he just started to get convicted and the Holy Spirit was working. And man, he just started breaking down and being like, man, how do I believe? How do I receive Jesus? And I got to watch as he came to accept Jesus, right? And then as I was doing that, his friend comes over and his friend's like, man, what are you doing? I saw you with the Bible and I'm like, man, can I explain it to you as well? And so we go through it again. And this time he's helping me because he's come to believe it. And he starts breaking down as well and crying. And man, he responds to the gospel as well. And we spent like four hours that night just with them both. And it was like, man. Um, and I saw them the next morning and he, um, the second guy came up to me and he said, man, I want to thank you because yesterday was the best day of my life because I found Jesus and still crying. And I was like, whoa. And I look at that, right? Because I, I started the conversation, but God was the one working in the um, working in his heart. I don't even feel I did anything. I was like, man, I could have stuffed it up completely and he probably still would have got saved. But I was like, man, um, I don't know. And I look at that and I'm like, man, what does that mean for me here? How do I, how do I go out? And I had the thought, I was like looking at us as a church, right? We've got maybe 100, 150 people here and God's placed us here around different people um, so many different people, right? If even just we knew 10 different people who were non-Christians, there's like 1,500 people that our church knows that we can begin sharing the gospel to and begin impacting. And I look at that, I'm like, man, um, what if we did that? What if we went out and we went out believing that God is actually working as we go out? And so I want to encourage you because I know that there are people here like, man, already doing that. And I want to encourage you to keep going and trusting that promise that God is working and I want you to keep challenging you to think through those people because, man, you look at the church at Philippi, right? You're like, man, I would not have picked those people as the ones who respond to the gospel, and yet God works in amazing ways. Um, but there may be some of you who um, maybe have, aren't doing that. I also want to challenge you to maybe start. And this is my challenge for us as a church, maybe, and what God's been challenging me with. And it's this thought, stand back so you can see it that we would be a people who recognize our need of God, our need of the Holy Spirit, and are seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the call Jesus has given us. Man, would we be people like that? Um, and so, I suppose my challenge for you is actually to go away and maybe begin to pray and say, God, would you show me the people who you want me to talk to? Would you provide the conversations? Would you open the doors? And then as we go out and begin those conversations, trusting that the God of heaven and earth, who is so much more powerful than we, is working in ways that we can't even see and breaking down barriers that we think will never be broken down. And my challenge for you would be to actually not go away from this um, convicted and sad, but actually go away and be like, man, I'm going to actually start taking this seriously or growing in it and seeing what God's going to use me here and the people he's placed around me. And so that would be my challenge from what I've what God's been teaching me through looking at the church at Philippi and I hope that challenges you as well.